Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. It's me again, born in the name of Alex William Smith, but many of you know me better as Jonathan Royal, the so-called British bad boy of hypnosis, although that title's probably wearing thin by now after these interviews, because some of you have been sending messages saying um, I've been rather nice to the interviewees. <laughs> Whatever. Um, OK, I'm, uh, it's my honour this week to have a gentleman with us who I'm going to pick the brains of and I'm going to ask, try to ask some awkward questions. But given the subject matter, it's already um, an awkward area anyway, to be honest. Uh, this gentleman's been involved in the field of hypnotherapy uh, for well over 15 years now. He's one of the few British um clinical hypnotherapist to have a MSc, uh, a master's degree in clinical hypnotherapy, which we'll talk to him about later. Uh, the first, because uh, that's what inaugural means, but I thought I wouldn't be able to say it, but I just actually managed to say it then. At the first UK hypnosis convention, uh, they made mention that in their opinion, he was one of the top 30 hypnotherapists in the world. He's contracted by the NHS. He works on a weekly basis in a major hospital. Uh, his main office is based in a GP, a medical doctor's surgery. So if you can't really get more, better perceived credibility than that. Uh, he's a clinical supervisor and mentor for many of the what you'll have heard me talk uh, or, or refer to in the past as winky wanky arty farty glorified boys clubs. No offence personally to Gary there, but the, 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 the more respectable, perceived respectable side of things, he is held up to be, um, you know, worthy of being one of their clinical supervisors and mental. In other words, uh, he knows what he's doing in a nutshell. And he's recently over the past sort of year or two been making a big name for himself in the hypnotherapy amongst other hypnotherapists. He was already doing it anyway for real end users, people who are in the position that needed his help. But then he's decided to start sharing his experiences, um, his variations on techniques, his own unique techniques in the field of hypno-oncology. Um, for those who don't know what that is, that's going to be my first question to Gary. So please welcome to the show the man himself, Mr. Gary Coles. Oh, hello, Jonathan. Nice nice to talk to you again. Good morning to you, sir. Yeah, uh, so to get started, for those who don't know, what is hypno-oncology? Uh, hypno-oncology is essentially hypnotherapy or hypnosis uh, used within the field of cancer or with cancer patients, those going through the cancer journey. Okay, so let's get this out of the way right at the start. There, In England, at least, we have the Cancer Act that was first yeah. talked about in 1937 yeah. but came in in 39 and amongst other things it regulates what you're allowed to advertise so we're not allowed Absolutely. in England and most countries in the world have some sort of similar law uh, except for places like the Philippines and stuff where you get your psychic surgeons who claim to reach into people's bodies and remove the cancerous growth and yet it's all sadly sleight of hand and trickery that yeah um we're restricted to what we can say. So in England, you cannot say, can you? You can't say that you can cure anyone with. No, no, you can, you cannot claim in the UK 
uh, to work with cancer in any way. You're not allowed to give advice on on cancer. So, for example, um, I see hypnotherapists doing weight loss, for example, that will give advice on diet. And now, as far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't because I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, Because I'm a hypnotherapist, I'm not allowed to give any guidance on the treatment of cancer, uh, their journey through it, et cetera, et cetera, and obviously not allowed to treat cancer. What we do do is work with people on the cancer journey. So, so we do everything apart from working with the cancer itself. Okay, so before I get to what you actually do do, which falls mm-hmm. within what is legal, ethical, uh, uh, and all that, um, I'll start off with perhaps the things that you probably don't do, or if you do, you do them in a manner so that you've been able to make it legally acceptable and yeah. ethical and stuff. Because I've seen a, a lot of evidence, and I've spoke to um, not just yourself in the past, but I've also spoke to... Uh, in England, you're like the go-to guy for this stuff. And in America, um, there's uh, a colleague of mine, Dr. Kenneth Kern, who is a he is a cancer surgeon right. by, by, by trade, but he, he's now a National Guild of Hypnotists qualified clinical hypnotherapist, and he works with cancer patients with the insight of a cancer surgeon. Yeah. And I'm aware from having spoken to him and looked at books out there, looked at stuff on the Internet. That I know we can't claim to work with the actual cancer itself, but there is evidence to some degree um, that the sizes of tumours, for example, could be reduced through people using creative visualization and mind power techniques or for example perhaps playing pac-man if anyone remembers that bloody game Uh, 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 eating the negative cells and only leaving the good ones there or that type of thing do you ever use any techniques like that because there's evidence out there that they have worked for people yes we do um but with the with the proviso and yes there is some there is some sort of circumstantial evidence I, I would say there's not enough evidence to say that we can make a difference in that area um, but again people do like guided visualizations and things and there is belief that they, those types of things can work uh, and uh, so we do offer as an adjunct treatment guided visualizations along those lines if people wish to use them again with the proviso that we're not working with the cancer this is something we're doing experimentally uh, which won't cause them any harm uh, mm-hmm. But it may have an impact. And interestingly enough, um, one of the scripts I, I give to people that I train is actually based on Pac-Man. Is it? Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I saw two main examples online. There's mention of Pac-Man, and that's one I used years ago. And um, one was a visualization of a rabbit in a field, and oh, you had to go so around all the carrots and find the bad ones. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, another area that we are allowed to work with where, um, again, I give short lectures on uh, conferences and, and so on, is the, the area of psychoneuroimmunology, PNI. Uh, and that's the way the, the impact of the immune system um, as changed by emotions, for example. Uh, and therefore, we know with hypnotherapy that we can change emotions, we can change people's outlooks. Uh, and we know in the, the, the area of PNI that um, things like um, prognosis and diagnosis from people in power can act as direct and indirect suggestions on people. So that, that can have oh, quite yeah. an impact on going through the cancer journey. So and there is a lot of um, evidence. Um, it was um, coined by Dr. Robert Ader in 1975, I believe, for PNI. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, you can uh, change the makeup of the immune system uh, using things like hypnotherapy and guided imagery. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is further um, a, a sort of research in that areas 
um, showing that um, we should be doing a lot more social care uh, and uh, social work with people going through the cancer journey because it can make a difference with the immune system and we should be looking at the, the whole idea of treatment holistically. I, I, hey, I couldn't agree more from what I've read and studied. Um, I, you know, I mean, years ago, just to put this in perspective for the viewers at home, and by years ago, I mean we are going back the best part of 30 years. It was the very early 90s. Um, I was lucky enough that a gentleman who'd been in the hypnotherapy industry for ages, a guy called Paul Brady, who at the time was on the committee for things like the Institute of Advanced Hypnoanalysts, which was Neil French's society, uh, the National Register of Advanced Hypnotherapists. He was all these different committees, but he had an office in Rochdale. And I, I suppose his logic was rather than this at the time, I would have been about 15 my real age, although I was lying about it, but, you know, because I, I was wise enough to realise that well, that was probably a negative suggestion, so I uh, lied about my age. He, he he knew my real age, and he probably thought, having spoken to him in more recent years, that rather than me finding somewhere else to get an office and him not be able to have any control over it whatsoever, he gave me an office, uh, his centre, and just by virtue of it when he was away on holiday one or two of his clients who who did have cancer demanded that they wanted someone to help them there and then and never having never ever prior to that having been put in the situation of someone who had been told they only had a certain amount these were people who'd been told that there was there was naff all could be done yeah um it was a matter of weeks or months and ultimately they they were just getting help in terms of pain control mm-hmm. and psychologically coming to terms with the fact that the number was up or at least that's what they'd been led to believe and what i noticed could i only you know had encounters with them once or twice that they then went back to seeing paul but they told me during these sessions how long they were they weren't supposed to have long at all, and yet months later they were still coming back to see Paul, and he was trying to tell them you don't need to see me anymore. You've now got the tools to handle it. But they were adamant they wanted to, um, but they were still alive anyway. That he managed to then get them to stop coming to see him, but we'd see them because we live in Rochdale. It's a small place. We'd seen them in town and they were still yeah. alive a couple of years later, most definitely. Um, I moved away from the area then, so I had no idea. I couldn't put a timeline on when they did die or if or if, or if if they did. But I know that they'd been told by the experts, the medical people, that they were supposed to no longer be here in a few weeks or months. And that a few years later, they were still alive. And... They made comment of how much better they felt once they'd been, to some degree, to see me. But that only happened a couple of times. It was mainly going to see Paul. But they said they felt a level of relaxation physically and psychologically and emotionally that they didn't normally feel until he taught them tools to use at home. That managing the pain, they were able to focus on other things and that they genuinely believed that the reason they were still alive was because they were doing these sort of visualizations we spoke about before, and that the, the, the 
you know, the worst thing that could have happened was the medical expert telling them they only had a limited time. Now, I know ethically they've got to, if they genuinely believe that to be the case. Uh, it's, it's, changed, it's changed a little bit since then. I mean, it used to be that they would say, oh, you might have, we, we think you might have six to nine months or a year or two years. Uh, mm. Now they approach it slightly differently and they, they give it purely statistically now. Oh. Uh, so so th- what they will say now is that um, sort of with your condition, with your stage and grade, um, we have a, a 70% chance of, of living beyond five years. So they, they put, or, or two years or something like that. So that, that's okay. the way they put it now. So su- subtly different, more of a get out clause. <clears throat> Yeah, um, that doesn't sound quite as negative either, are we? No, no, it isn't. Because I think one of the biggest, we we as therapists, well, certainly hypnotherapists, work with positive and negative suggestions, depending on the context. Um, Certain words, phrases, or things already have a, a sociological inbuilt anchor that can be positive or negative and i would argue one of the biggest negative <clears throat> anchored words in the british language is the word cancer absolutely yeah i mean you only have to mention the word and people fall apart or they don't know how to communicate with somebody <clears throat> um, yeah it's not a lot of a lot of what gets terms as cancers now as i understand it it's just like they don't know where to band it so they banded it under the cancer banner and as I understand it, please tell me, because you're the expert here, as I understand it, there's far more of the cancers that are manageable now than there's ever been. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's absolutely the case, yeah. The survival rates are higher than they've ever been. Uh, the livable rates with it are higher than they've ever been. Uh, <clears throat> and there's more incidents of it, uh, which people say, well, why is that happening? But one of the biggest things is that is because people are living longer uh, and we're curing them of other issues. Um, therefore, mm-hmm. I mean, vir- virtually everybody has cancer within them uh, and virtually everybody has cancer gross in them. Uh, you'll find that uh-huh. um, a lot of people will die without even knowing that they had there, that it was there because they died of something else. Uh, but it's because all the other issues uh, are now sort of getting resolved. Uh, and treated that people are living longer so therefore there, there will be more incidents in, of, of cancer coming out and in fact statistically it's quite worrying that um, statistically they're saying that one in two people in the western world one in two people born since 1960 will actually um, encounter cancer well um now this i know you're gonna have to be careful how you answer but i'm gonna mm. ask it because there will be people watching who the subject of cancer is going to enter the head there are people out there, including people who are involved in the cancer industry, and yeah. I'm using the word industry, um, and I've actually talked to someone who's involved in the cancer industry, personally, not an- anecdotal, direct, mm-hmm. face-to-face, and categorically asked them the question, is there a cure for cancer? And their answer was twofold he said well what you mean is is there a cure for cancer as people understand it to mean in the sense of what it was until maybe 10 15 20 years ago when they started banding in lots of other things under the same mm-hmm. title now fortunately a lot of those other things are things that are largely manageable and 
I said, okay, if that's what you think I mean, but I just meant in general, I said, no, you have to understand there's some things they've just banded under the term cancer now that weren't what your grandparents or your parents might understand it to mean. But in terms of what they'd understand, is there a cure? And he categorically told me, and I'm not going to mention his name, for obvious legal purposes, because he's still involved in the cancer industry, categorically told me, yes, there definitely is, but there's not a cat in hell's chance that it will ever get released publicly uh, because there's way too much money in the cancer industry. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have absolutely no reason to disbelieve him because I, I, I wish I could legally, well, I could, I wouldn't legally get done, but he, he'd lose his job immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I do hear that. Uh, again, I do hear a lot of people saying, oh, yes, this can cure it, that can cure it, diet can cure it, um, you know, all sorts of other oils, potions and whatever. But unfortunately, we do need to see the evidence. Um, yes, I have heard rumours that, that obviously we know that, that it, pharma is a big business and there's a, a huge amount of money uh, to be made out of pharma in, in the cancer industry. Uh, uh, and obviously, I, I would assume that they would want to stop other cheaper alternatives. Um, mm. but, and, but again, we do need to see the evidence. I mean, I have heard rumours that there are things out there and it's been covered up. But again, you know, we need to be able to prove it and get the evidence based behind it. Which you're not going to get because the powers that be can cover that up quite easily. Yeah, yeah. Because who yeah. controls scientific studying and stuff ultimately in the publishing yeah. of data? Governments. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, so we have got a problem on that front. Um, but again, you know, it's this interesting one of how valid, it, uh, you know, are these so-called cures? Because, again, I do see people peddling all sorts of so-called cures, um, which turn out to be just snake oil stuff anyway, particularly in places like Mexico and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm on a number of Facebook groups for cancer. Uh, and the amount of things that pop up saying, oh, you can cure it with this diet, that diet, this witch doctor, this oil, you know, all this sort of stuff is, is, is quite frightening. Uh, and and the worrying thing on that is that uh, the amount of people that have a belief in all that sort of stuff, I mean, people do become desperate, obviously, when, when they're in that situation. Um, and, and the interesting part with the hypnotherapy side, that um, people going through the cancer journey, um, 40 percent of them actually seek out complementary therapies. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's essentially 20 percent of the population. So that, that's a pretty big market for complementary therapies. Yeah. Um, but but so, so which is obviously where we come in. Uh, but there's a worrying statistics about complementary therapies. And there was some uh, recent research done by the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Uh, and they actually um, interviewed 4000 adults and 25 percent of those were actually going through the cancer journey or had been through the cancer journey. Uh, yeah. So you would have th- think would be pretty educated from the hospitals and the oncologists and the surgeons. Yeah. Um, but the statistics actually came out that 40 percent of them uh, strongly agreed or somewhat believed that cancer could be cured by oxygen, diet and herbs alone. And half of those under the age of 53, which is a strange age to admit, to, uh, <laughs> but half of those under 53 thought that cancer could be cured by um, complementary therapies alone and nothing else. Uh, and the worrying side of that is that actually using complementary or alternative therapies alone without um, standard treatment actually doubles the mortality rate. Uh, and if you actually look at it in early stage cancer, it actually increases the um, mortality rate by six times. So it is quite a worrying statistic that's uh, rather negative. You know, the statistic I find more worrying than that. 
the fact that they consider someone to have had the old clear from cancer if they go back it basically if they get through five years after treatment they're considered to be all clear and they're released from treatment the majority of people um and that is considered that then they were all clear and if they then die five years and one month after the treatment it's considered they were successfully clear right yeah whereas in truth they could have still died of cancer or more likely and there is evidence out there that shows they could have died of the side effects knock-on effects to their body through chemotherapy uh, yeah that does and that is a big factor uh, chemotherapy does absolutely hammer the, the body in the system there's no doubt it just surprised me actually gary because i thought that somehow you're going to answer that in a manner that didn't could but there again, you're not a medical doctor, so you, you don't have to protect things that much. A lot of medical doctors really get their backs up when I mention to them, look, I've looked into this, and it appears that the, the, the knock-on effects of chemotherapy, in terms of longevity, the suggestions that not having chemotherapy, <clears throat> avoiding chemotherapy, having some sort of intervention, obviously, yeah. but avoiding chemotherapy... Um, you may have a better chance of living longer ultimately because there's the negative effects of chemotherapy. You might suddenly get told you're all clear from cancer after the five years, but your body's been broken down and other things are more likely to occur. Uh, there, there is some evidence that suggests that. I mean, chemotherapy is changing all the time. It's improving, it's changing. Um, there's different types obviously used for different cancers, but yes, it does have a detrimental effect on the body. Uh, and th- there is that mode of thinking from a lot of people. So do you think, and, I'm, and this, clearly I'm not getting at you because you don't give people chemotherapy. So obviously no. I'm not getting at you. Uh, <clears throat> making that clear to the viewers at home as well. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. But I, I do believe with that in mind and in that context, that if we go back to the Cancer Act, it's perceived that it's there. It's given out that the Cancer Act's there. And if you go on Google and put in Cancer Act 1939, although you'll see mention of 37 as well, because that's when it was formulated, but it didn't come into force till 1939. <clears throat> you read it and you go, yeah, that makes sense. That's to protect the general public at large. It does at first reading seem that way. But then if you read it again in the context of the questions I've awkwardly been throwing out here could it have been worded that yes there's some mumbo jumbo shit out there people who claim to reach into people's bodies and pull out the tumors and they're gone uh they're using what magicians call a plastic it's a plastic thumb they call a thumb tip so they can apparently have their hands empty and when they go towards the body they pull the plastic thumb off behind one hand and inside there they'll have bits of like chicken's liver or, or then they'll get a little balloon that's full of blood, palm it and go and pop it. So it gives the impression they've psychically reached into the person's body and removed the tumour. And the argument is, well, not the argument, they pass it off as being real healing. Uh, But there's some that argue that if the person believes that enough, then it could cause them to effect a cure for themselves. Uh, And maybe it could, but the weight of evidence out there shows that these people end up dying. Um, maybe it takes longer than it would have done because they're a bit more positive. So that stuff, yeah, should be stopped. <clears throat> but stuff like you do, Gary, and that you teach people to do, which is done in an ethical manner, telling people, look, this is not guaranteed to cure you, but it, but 
there may be some anecdotal evidence out there that it can help you live longer, um, have less pain, deal with stuff. Well, I, 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 it should be encouraged more. I think there's elements of the Cancer Act that are purposely restrictive, is my point, because <clears throat> the people that stand to benefit financially, pharmaceutical companies, don't <clears throat> want people like yourself to be able to fulfill the full potential of what is possible with what you do? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, first of all, I think the biggest thing is we've got to remember that the Act was written in 37 and, in, and come into force in 39, and it's not been changed. So yeah. uh, research and, you know, even in pharmaceutical industry has, has come on in leaps and bounds since that was uh, was sort of formed. Uh, now, there is arguments that is it still fit for purpose with all the, you know, the current thinking, the holistic approaches and so on. Um, I still think it's a good basis because it does keep the mumbo jumbo and the people mm. who are the snake oil salesmen and people out of it. Um, certainly from my own point of view, um, it doesn't affect what I do um, because it doesn't affect me working with people on the cancer journey. So whether that's um, with, the, with the fears and the phobias of treatment, it might be the diagnosis. So the anxieties and the worries and the depression, or, or, you know, with the, the psychological aspects, uh, it doesn't affect me working with pre and post surgery work. Uh, doesn't affect me working with side effects uh, of, of the treatment mm -hmm. uh, it, itself. Uh, it doesn't stop me working with pain control because all those are not working with the cancer. So I can, so I can work with all those things through the cancer journey. Um, there is no reason why I can't use um, PNI approaches because that's working with the immune system. That's not working with the cancer. Uh, so the only, the only bit that really that you could argue might overstep the line is if going back to sort of the Pac-Man thing, um, that, mm -hmm. that you would argue is that we're working with the cancer but actually we can say no we're not we're just giving you some guided visualization as an adjunct to, to your standard treatment that may or may not be useful for you it's an experiment if you want to do it do it mm -hmm. um so tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you do do with clients because i'm guessing you know there's like there's obviously as we said before there's the area of helping people deal with pain imagine a lot of it's also psychologically coming to terms with the fact that they're on this journey yep. because if they're stressed there's no argument i mean it is undeniably proven that stress can cause stress that carries on long enough can cause organic change illness and disease in the body indeed and, and by affecting the immune system yeah so obviously we don't want people in this situation to be stressed worried and anxious about stuff so, so what sort of things would you do with clients to help them deal with those things uh, again we have lots of different approaches and lots of different things i mean i might say with hypno oncology we work with people through the entire journey um one of the most common things i would get would be at the time of diagnosis um or sort of early treatment or uh, might be sort of have people having panic attacks because they've got to go into a scanner or they might have to have a face mask fitted and things like that. So we would do a lot of um, very fast interventions with a lot of people. So a lot of submodality work and sort of fast interventions based on those types of techniques, uh, because quite often you will you will just see somebody for one session and it will be a session where they're already in some sort of panic attack. Um, so you would you would use sort of um, you, you know you can use fast phobia cure. I'm not a great fan of it because I don't find it particularly permanent. But uh, you would tend to use a lot of submodality work and different approaches with, with those types of things. Uh, then you would look um, slightly longer term. Um, I would do a lot of um, parts work uh, with people. I tend to have a very uh, authoritarian sort of um, 
sort of hybrid between ego state therapy and parts work which gives the gives them no sort of uh, wriggle room if you if you like which i find very effective for a lot of things um so we would work with them on that uh, you do a lot of work um, probably the biggest area i work with is really side effects from from the treatment whether it's radio radiation or chemotherapy uh whether the things like um uh, sort of uh, anticipatory nausea we get dysgeusia which is changes in taste we get a lot of sleep problems uh, neuropathy problems so we do a lot of work with, with sort of traditional hypnotherapy work around those types of things uh, pre and post surgery is is an interesting area um, when, when I did my master's degree um, I, we part of the part of the master's you have to do some primary research uh, and write a thesis or dissertation on it was this about uh, the university by the way uh, no it was the University of West London Oh, okay. I did mine through. Right. Oh, I didn't know they did it there. I, I know Bournemouth were the first, weren't they? I think. No, no. University of West London was the first. The path started when they were still the University of um, Thames Valley University. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, and then, then they sort of amalgamated and become the University of West London. Uh, sadly, I think due to finance issues, they no longer offer it. Um, so, which, which is a shame um, because they, they offered it. Then it was going to be done. I, I think it was in Aberdeen uh, were going to do it. And that never really got off the ground. And Bourne, Bournemouth now do one. But I think theirs isn't in clinical hypnotherapy as such. It is actually um, research based uh, into hypnosis. Uh, because interestingly enough, I think uh, it's research, looking... medicine and clinical practice. Yeah, because when we actually looked at it, um, if you go back to, uh, as you were referring to the the so-called governing bodies, if you like, the voluntary bodies, uh, obviously we have um, uh, in the UK um, a a basic curriculum, if you like, for an MVQ level four, which the the Complementary Natural Healthcare Council sort of... uh, It's hilarious. I know you've got to be careful because you're a mentor uh, and clinical supervisor for them. But in my opinion, and it's just my opinion viewers, but the vast majority of what they teach in that curriculum is fucking useless excuse the language in the real world of treating clients there are far better more effective ways than what they teach it's it's mental it's rather restricted i I, I will hold my hand up here and and say that i was one of the three that actually formulated it (laughs) um but uh, but we um, we were rather restricted it was based on previous curricula and we were also very heavily uh, influenced by Ofqual on what we could and couldn't do, and um, so so although I will hold my hand up and say yes, I was partially responsible for that. I, the, the, I, there are a lot of reasons. I know I'm there's a lot of red tape behind the scenes in fairness, <laughs> just plain devil's advocate. But I have seen there is red tape behind the scenes, and it has to go in alignment with other industries, which yeah. itself's a bit bonkers because what we do doesn't really align with other industries. Yeah, but the, the, the reason for, for raising that, though, interesting one, uh, was that, um, <clears throat> again, we've got this national curriculum with, with a minimum number of hours, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my understanding when they looked at it, the Bournemouth master's degree, uh, although it was a master's degree, actually didn't cover enough hours of clinical hypnotherapy to actually meet the minimum requirement. <laughs> yeah. Bizarrely, that was my understanding. It might, I, yeah. I might be wrong, but that, that, that was anecdotal evidence that I, that I heard. Um, so certainly the University of West London was was the first to to offer the master's degree Uh, going back to that side of it when when I had to do my dissertation and research uh, I decided to make it really difficult for myself and decided I wanted to do medical research 
um, which which everybody told me I was completely mad. Uh, in, in fact, um, one of the people that was uh, was quite amusing. Um, you're probably aware of the, the CBT guru, Windy Dryden. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's a good friend of mine. He practices out of one of the same clinics in, in Harley Street as myself. And uh, and I was talking to him about it at social events that um, I, I'm going to do my masters and so on. And uh, he said, oh, "What are you going to do your research on?" And I said, "I don't know. I've got some ideas." And eventually, I went to him and I said, oh, "I've decided what I'm going to do my research on." And he said, "What is it?" And I told him. And he looked at me in the eye. He said, "If you were one of my students, I'd have told you not to be so bloody stupid." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, there, there we go." <laughs> well, good for credibility law down the line. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, the research I ended up doing uh, was I, I did uh, research into pre-surgical hypnosis uh, and the effects that it had on the recovery quality of breast cancer operations. And uh, so, so I actually became embedded in the breast cancer multidisciplinary team for a year at the hospital. So uh, I was in uh, attending all the all the diagnosis meetings and uh, and the planning meetings with all the surgeons and the oncologists and the radiographers and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I learned an awful lot <laughs> about the process from that point of view. Uh, as as I have um, anyway, because the hospital over the years have sent me on a lot of sort of specialist cancer courses anyway. Um, but but that was very useful being embedded in for, for that for a year. Um, but what was interesting that the way that I looked at it uh, was I used um, a gold standard um, psychological sort of evaluation SF thirty six it's called. Uh, and what we actually did was uh, we're looking at the psych- psychologically profiling people on the day of their operations. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and analyze and really looking at it down and ba- basically, and it's not a surprise uh, that people undergoing a breast cancer operation on the day of their operation were borderline depressive. Um, that that was the, the, the basic in a nutshell. Yeah, I think that sounds I mean, fairly. Yep, yeah, it was broken down into a lot of other areas um, so yeah. that we could really look at things like social functioning, communication, and, and so on. Uh, but it, but the overall thing is, yes, they were they were psychologically um, sort of you know borderline depressive. Um, we then did uh, uh, well. We had a control group and uh, and uh, hypnotherapy group. Now with the hypnotherapy group, we did a session of um, hypnotherapy pre-surgical hypnotherapy just before they went in for their pre-meds and, and in for the operation what and what was that session kind of like are we talking like uh progressive muscular relaxation induction it, it was it it, it it was script based it was carried out by myself uh and it was script based because obviously we had to be able to reproduce it exactly yes um, so it was so it was about um it was progressive muscle relaxation and that was followed by suggestion for compliance during the operation uh, and um, speedy healing and no pain and so mm-hmm. on and, and the body regenerating itself uh, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so we did that with the hypnotherapy group and then we did the same um, SF36 questionnaire um, after seven days, seven days after the operation. Uh, we did it after seven days because that was that was before they got any diagnosis back and obviously that would that would change greatly the way they were feeling. Yeah. Um, so we had so we had to do it prior to that. Now, the control group was still borderline uh, depressive. Uh, the group that had the hypnotherapy were actually back to the population norm. So if you like, back to normal uh, psychologically. Uh, so, so we had quite a good psychological impact on them. Uh, and we also, as an yeah. aside, we, we did pain uh, we did we did some pain uh, questionnaires for them. Uh, and it was interesting to note that um, those on the hypnotherapy group uh, perceived that they were in less pain than the control group. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we actually um, sort of dug down a little bit further, not only did they perceive they were feeling less pain, uh, generally they were taking less dosages of pain medication 
than the other group. Excellent. So, so, so there was quite a lot of positives there. Hey, excellent. How, how, how much of that would you say? And it doesn't matter. This could sound like I'm asking questions that are purposely cynical. And that's mm. because I am for the nature of people watching yeah. educational benefit. But I'd just let me clarify in advance that it does. I am a great believer that it doesn't matter how a job gets done as long as it's done legally, lawfully um, and safely. As long as those things are in place, I don't think it particularly matters how the job gets done as long as the job gets done and the client has the benefit that, 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 that you've kind of said they may have or will have, depending on the context. So with that caveat in mind, that I'm not being as cynical as it may first sound, how important to that at those outcomes you've just mentioned mm-hmm. do you think was the fact that it was an environment where clearly you were you were there with the acceptance and knowledge of uh, the medical doctors surgeons and uh, and other people so you'd as well as being the perceived authority figure in hypnotherapy you've without anything being said been given like this seal of approval by the medical types which therefore is increasing i would argue the power of suggestion absolutely and, and i find that in hospital particularly um, whereas obviously we see private patients and we, we know that, for example, if you see a private patient or a private client, uh, somebody that's been referred to you by somebody very close to them that's already seen you, <coughs> your job's already half done because the perception is there uh, that you're going to resolve the issue because you did it with their close friend. And therefore, they, they, you've got the credibility, you've got the tools, they know that you can do it. Whereas somebody just phoning you up off the street has probably got less of that perception uh, and they're just trying you out to see whether it will work. Um, so, so the job is a lot easier and certainly even my general uh, work in hospital, um, because I am based in the hospital, because quite often I'm referred um, to, to by an oncologist or a nurse or, a, you know, one of the surgeons, already you've got that credibility because you're another person, another expert in the hospital that they can call on. So therefore, they've already got the, the rapport and the expectation that you're going to make a difference to them. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, now, obviously, you got the other element of that is that obviously the people who who went through the hypnotherapy session, as well as there being the credence and the uh, and that, you just by virtue of doing a, a, a hypnotherapy session. Forget the content, although obviously that's beneficial based on what you said, but just the virtue of spending time with somebody in a context where clearly it's aimed with the intention of being for their benefit mm. uh, and being presented in a manner where you give a shit and you care about that person. People don't tend to encounter that as often in life as they would like. So that in itself arguably is incredibly therapeutic, isn't it? It is, and and we've got all the things, for example, like um, rapport that we build as hypnotherapists. 
um, uh, and 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 the techniques obviously that go in it. But uh, it, it's interesting to note that um, the, the scripts that I actually came up with were based on previous work that's been done um, in breast cancer operations. There's a, a guy that's done a lot of guy, um, guy Montgomery in Sinai in New York. Uh, has done a lot of work in, in the past about that. So I wanted to try, my original idea was to actually recreate what he'd done and, and, uh, and improve on it. Uh, yeah. But um, unfortunately, he seemed to be a little bit, um, a little bit protective, uh, let's say, with the, the work he'd done and sort of suggested uh-huh. that he'd done a lot of work in that area. Why didn't I go away and do something else? Um, but, okay. uh, but, uh, but then I must admit, when I actually started looking at his research, I did find some holes in it. <laughs> so, so, so that, 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 um, made it interesting for, from my my point of view uh, I mean for example um, whereas I, I did a full SF36 questionnaire which is um, then computerized and statistically analyzed um, he essentially just just used a, a one to a hundred scale for, for things like pain and psychological well-being uh, and also he did his follow-ups um, when the people came out of the treatment center so um, it was still on the same day of their their operation. So therefore, they were, in my opinion, well, it's a certainly under general medical opinion. Um, they've certainly still got general anaesthetic in their system, which, yeah. uh, guide, which guidelines in this country is you, you can't make cognitive decisions for 48 hours afterwards. So I would say that uh, his research was done while they were still impaired. Um, so therefore, perhaps isn't quite as valid. Definitely. Yeah. And the other thing that I find quite interesting uh in uh, the, from my one is if you actually look at most of the hypnotherapy research out there uh, and most of the, the the papers uh it's very rare that the hypnotherapy is carried out by a hypnotherapist if you actually really read down nine times out of ten it's uh, they're done by a psychological student or the person writing the paper who's generally had something in the region of an hour's tuition in hypnotherapy. So therefore, they've got no idea about all the subtlety, subtleties of the rapport, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, they're just script based from an hour's tuition. Yeah, which, that's again, script. I, they might not even vary the voice tone, which we know there were people watching this going, well, don't matter. You don't need to vary your voice tone. No, you don't need to. Um, but if you give the client what they perceive, rightfully or wrongfully, which quite often is what they've seen on TV, the yep. shade, the deeper you go, the better you If you give them that, then it's more likely they buy into it because it fits mm. with their... Whereas if you tell them it isn't like that, you're kind of already maybe putting the back up a bit because nobody likes to be told they're wrong. So if yeah. you can have an environment where they think they're right and fulfil their expectations, then it's more likely to work. Whereas those clinical re- – I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think where there is evidence of something being, say, this effective on a scale, I think if they brought in a real-world um, hypnotherapist like yourself who works in the trenches, that they would probably get a better success rate. Yeah, well, that, that was one of the arguments that I that I used as uh, in my evidence um, that, that I backed up. I mean, there was a few more techniques that I threw in that weren't done previously uh, in Montgomery's uh, experiments and so on. Um, but that was one of my arguments was surely it's going to be more effective carried out by an experienced hypnotherapist that knows all the subtleties than somebody who's just had an hour's tuition and reading from a script. It's quite <clears throat> hilarious, really, that they would... On the one hand, 
there's all this, like, you know, in the medical arena, to be a member of the British Society of Medical, you know, Clinical Hypnosis and all that, you've either got to be a medical GP or you've got to fulfill certain criteria. And it all sounds like that's for the protection and, you know, the, the standing of how it's perceived and that. And yet so many of these, I've encountered so many, many medical GPs that are members of that society who couldn't hypnotise their way out of a wet paper fucking bag in yeah. the language. Did he devoid of any personality? How the bloody hell they operate as a medical GP, in some cases, is beyond uh, my, my thinking. Because, you know, one of the things that used to be good about doctors was, I know they haven't got the time to do it now, but quite often it wasn't what they were prescribing. It was what they call the bedside manner, wasn't it? Yeah. Which arguably is an element of hypnosis, rapport and stuff that you, you use absolutely. daily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's... But, um, they, they are getting a little bit more on side. I mean, as far as when I was doing my research, I mean, we had one one old professor um, who general attitude, it was quackery. Um, but uh, the rest of the team were, were quite good. I had um, one young surgeon who was very, very interested in what I did. Uh, one of the other breast cancer surgeons uh, was very much on my side because when he was training as a surgeon, um, he actually witnessed an operation that was done under hypnosis rather than anaesthetic. So he was very Excellent. much on the side. Uh, and then the, the 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 lead of the team, the the, the head surgeon, uh, when I actually um, put the ideas towards her, was very, uh, you know, I, I she gave the attitude as of I'm a famous teaching surgeon, why are you wasting my time? Uh, <clears throat> sort of attitude was really try asking a lot of difficult questions, uh, and I thought she was just trying to basically make me look stupid and sort of you know get rid of me. Uh, <clears throat> but after we'd done all this questioning and so on, I think she was just testing to see whether I'd really thought this through thoroughly and whether it was going to be very scientific uh, because eventually she said yeah okay we'll do it we'll let we'll let you come on board the team you can do that you can do your research uh, and then after a few weeks once she started seeing the results she actually came to me and said um, oh you're attending the, the um, meetings with us you know the, the planning meetings um, if you spot at, um, patients on there that you think would be useful for your research uh, and they agree to actually work with you she said uh, let me know and I'll move my elective list around to accommodate you so, so all right absolutely, excellent absolutely amazing <clears throat> yeah i mean well you've been taken seriously that quite clearly yeah. at that point when that's happening yeah so how do they feel about you now share your experiences and techniques um with people um yeah. for example things like hypno thoughts in las vegas or the conventions and conferences around the world and i know you've run um the odd course actually yourself away from conferences and not uh, yeah it, 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 that seems to have taken on an organic sort of life of its own um i did a, a couple of courses well originally um, i was it was suggested i put a course on and uh, and i thought people wouldn't be that interested uh, strangely enough so i put a course on the first course i did was um the year before last i did one at birkbeck university um, then uh, it was suggested I did a couple of others, so I did a couple of others, and I, I did one out in, as part of Hitler Thoughts in Vegas. 
Um, and then um, that sort of went from there. Like last year, um, I did one in Chester and one in Birmingham in this country. Um, I was then asked to do one in New York um, and I did one in Vegas again. And uh, one of my attendees in my Reading one was actually a, a nurse from Bahrain. And um, they invited me over to teach in Bahrain. I was over in Bahrain in October teaching a privately at a, a clinic over a psychological clinic in, in Bahrain. Nice. Uh, uh, and, and this year I've got I'm doing one in Birmingham. Uh, in this country, I'm doing one in Brussels next month. I'm doing one in Amsterdam, and I've got um, I think three in the USA and one in Canada. So <laughs> it seems to be going a little bit mad. Excellent. Is there any? Do you currently have? Are you? Are there any plans for the future to um, for people who perhaps can't get to an event? Are you going to be putting together any form of online? Um, you know, maybe group training via Skype but also manual videos what we actually do we haven't got online training yet and and that's something i've been weighing up because there are pros and cons of of online training uh i I prefer to do it live um but i know people can't do it but uh, what what i have got now is that um, i do have a usb stick with a a full training course on it um which um, people can buy at conferences and so on which is also available from the website Uh, we have a a website hypno-oncology.com um, that is available from that. So that, that is a full day's training. And then people that actually do the training, whether it's the USB one or the live training, uh, they also have access to a secret Facebook group where we put more lectures on and question and answers and mentoring and so on from that. Oh, excellent. Um, so, yeah, hypno-oncology.com. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely worth uh, w- worth checking that out. Yeah, um, that, that has a list of the courses as well as the product. There's also a script book, a hypno-oncology script book uh, and, and all sorts of other things. Cool. Um, uh, and the reason, and the other thing that I will mention on that is, is one of the things again from the ethics point of view, is that I did find that um, over the courses that I've done, uh, I did find that people uh, their standards of knowledge of hypnotherapy uh, have varied greatly. Uh, uh, and obviously, I want the very best working in hypno oncology. Uh, and, and obviously, I don't want to put people off coming on the hypno oncology course because you know everybody that can can help is is great. Um, but what I decided to do was it was to actually differentiate things slightly. So uh, people that take my training, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's a CPD day or two days. We, we sometimes do two day trainings as, as well, because that's what yeah. Rain wanted and that's what they want in Canada. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, the training is, is CPD. Uh, but we also have the option. I, I wanted to differentiate people that, that are really, really good. Uh, so what I've done is I've set up an association of hypno-oncology practitioners, uh, and that is the, the website of that. Uh, and to become an accredited practitioner, not only do you have to do the training, <clears throat> but you then have to pass quite an extensive exam. Uh, and the exam not only covers the hypno-oncology stuff, uh, but it does cover the type of things I would expect you to, to know as, as a top-notch hypnotherapist. <clears throat> so that so that way we have we have different levels and then I, I can then be confident that the people that are accredited and become in my association I know are at the level that I want and have the ethical background that I want to be able to go and do that around the world yeah well that's independent but they don't have to be a member of any of these that I nope. call them boys clubs do they they just have to nope. show competency yeah excellent see that I totally understand and agree with because of the context uh some people out there the law that they'll also add in you know, you've got to be a member of this boys club and it's like for f- what relevance is being able to pay a yearly fee to an association that will take money off 
pretty much anybody. It has no relevance to your competence, but doing what you were saying, yeah, I can totally, totally, totally um, go with that. Um, and it's better for everyone's credibility who's then saying that the past. Yeah, yeah. And, and the interesting you mentioned on, on the boys' clubs and the, and the money type of thing. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, you know, it, the, taking the exam to become accredited, as far as I'm concerned, is purely optional. You know, you can come on my course and not have to do the exam. Uh, and the other thing is, um, with reference to the boys' clubs, for people that want to take the exam, there is no charge. To become accredited, there is no charge. That, that, that is oh. it. Oh, all right. You didn't surprise me. That. I mean, even better. I mean, that just that goes against the conventional norm. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I want to. I want to encourage people to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are the major? You see, working it occurs to me, and I, I had, in fairness, looking back on it, there's no way, no way on this planet, no way on this planet, should I. At 15, 16 years old, I've been sat there uh, dealing with cancer patients. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have been, but I did. Yeah. Hey, oh. Um, so obviously, as you get older, it becomes easier to deal with things. But it strikes me that how do you deal with dealing with people who I know you've got the benefit, so to speak, of seeing them end up feeling more positive, being in less pain, um, you know, and getting through things. You've got that to focus on. But it's got to have, I imagine it's got to have a, a, a massive, profound emotional effect upon you as the therapist. It, it does. Uh, and it's, it's you you have to be very careful going into to that as as a living for want of a better word or you know and hospital stuff it's interesting at the hospital we get so many people want to come in as therapists or, or even just to help out uh, in different types of sort of um, complementary therapies uh, and it's surprising how many only last a couple of weeks uh, once they're actually getting in that environment and see the emotion that goes through it mm. um, you know it can hit them quite hard uh, and you do have to learn uh, to cut yourself off from it um, like you would with with any other patients, you know, if you're dealing with depressives, you've got to learn to cut yourself off it and not become depressed. Um, I mean, it is unfortunate that you you do form relationships with some of you know some of the people you see longer term. You will uh, you will foster relationships and you will lose some of them. Um, you know that that goes with the territory. Um, now, certainly, I would recommend that if you're going to be involved in that area, um, at the very least, have supervision um, or, or some sort of counselling. And we're quite lucky at the hospital that if, if we require it, we do have counselling facilities for us, uh, you know, if, if it's required. Um, saying that, I've, I personally have never had to use it. I, I find that uh, having been there for sort of over 14 years now, that I'm very good at separating it, sort of putting it in a box, if you like. How do you think you manage that? You're aware that you're good at it because you know that you've not needed to go and see it. But how do you think, if you're giving advice to somebody, how do you think you manage to do that? Yeah, you just really, you go back to your own life. You know, I think you realise that life is precious. You, you see the people going through that. You realise how life is precious it is. And uh, and you go back and, you know, do the things you enjoy. Switch yourself off and, and do the things you enjoy. You've got, you've got to compartmentalise it. Okay. So jump, jumping back, because you did start mm. telling us about, um, well, you did the studies pre-surgery. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you explained that really well. Thank you. What what we can't, because it's my fault, can I go off on one? 
It's entirely my fault, not Gary's. I assume the logical thing then would to be look at what kind of stuff you do post-operations. Uh, yep, uh, that would have been the next thing that I would like to have done. But uh, the amount of ethics involved uh, and timing, because obviously, <clears throat> although I wanted to get some quality research out there, Mm -hmm. uh, the other side of it was it was to gain my master's degree. Uh, ah, yeah. uh, that has a time frame. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the amount of ethics hoops you have to jump through to, to be actually uh, to be able to do hypnosis with cancer patients for research is quite phenomenal, as you can imagine. Um, I, I originally approached the, um, the university because obviously they, they had to insure it and indemnify it. Uh, it took a couple of goes to get it through their ethics committee because they were a little bit jumpy about working with cancer patients. Um, <clears throat> then I went to the hospital and said that uh, I wanted to do some research and I had to go to their, their research and development uh, section. And they said, oh, yeah, we love research. Oh, well, yeah, we, we, we will support research. We love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like, what, what do you want to do? And then I said, oh, I want to do I want to do hypnosis with your cancer patients. Uh, you could see some of them go white and sort of make funny noises and sort of look of panic on their faces. Mm -hmm. um, so so I, but I had to go through there. I had to go. So I had to go through university ethics. I then had to go through the NHS ethics themselves uh, and then the local hospital ethics. Um, that caused all sorts of problems that I then had to have good clinical practice certificates and all sorts of other things. So I had to go on a lot of hospital courses to gain things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, and then they put in so many rules and regulations in place about recruitment and treatment of patients. You know, um, I couldn't approach anybody technically to ask them to be part of my research. I could only put a poster up or give them a leaflet uh, and things like that. They then we then had to get consent from them um, consent. They had to contact me to give consent. I wasn't allowed to contact them. That had to be more than 48 hours before the, the procedure that I was going to give them. And then they had the chance to duck out of it again. Uh, and you can imagine that recruitment's quite difficult because let, let's imagine if you, you've just been diagnosed with breast cancer, you're going in for an operation. Uh, the last thing on your mind is, is dealing with some muppet who wants to give you a questionnaire and then hypnotize you. <laughs> you know, that, that's not really one of your top priorities. Uh, <laughs> not when you put it like that maybe if uh, you see that there's going to be a benefit to you which obviously you know that's what you uh, there is and that, that also caused problems because obviously there wasn't a benefit for all of them because we needed a control group and we we, we had one yeah. problem where people that when they were assigned to the control group decided they didn't want to play anymore um, because they weren't getting any benefits out of it and we even had others that actually signed up for it uh, decided it was such a brilliant idea that they went off and had hypnotherapy before they came to see me. So they, they were then being preconditioned oh. and all the rest of it. Right. So, so, the, so therefore, we had to eliminate all those out of uh, the research because it was putting too many sort of uh, unknowns into the equation. So, so no, there was all sorts of problems uh, because originally I, I wanted to do a comparison of um, sort of one session of pre-surgical as opposed to three sessions, as opposed to doing it via audio, as opposed to live and, and all sorts of other things. And then when, when we found the amount that you could actually recruit and the time frames involved, it, was, it just wasn't possible. Given the vast amounts of money involved in our, the cancer industry, mm. And I'm not talking from the point of view of suppressing cures now. I'm talking from the other point of view. Uh, the, 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 there are places out there, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to mention names, but there are some fundraising bodies that the people involved at the top are taking so much money out that it's clear that they would arguably have a vested interest in never 
finding a cure or never finding a solution. But there are some out there where the people at the top are not taking obscene amounts of money. Um, are there not any of them that would like perhaps fund this kind of research, the stuff that you wanted to do? Because there is yeah, definitely I mean, I, some I, potential. Yeah, I, I did approach a couple of organisations, but again, there was no real interest. Um, I, mean, I did at one stage uh, approach the hospital because I, I had one, the, the surgeon that I mentioned uh, that was very interested in hypnotherapy because he had encountered sort of operation uh, being done on it. Um, he actually asked me whether I'd be interested in doing a, another research uh, project. And he was particularly interested to see whether hypnosis uh, could have an effect on people vomiting under general anaesthetic because it's 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 not necessarily it's not sort of widespreadly known but generally a lot of people react to a general anaesthetic and it's very very common for people that under anaesthetic when they go into the operating theatre to vomit uh, and uh, and he wanted to know whether it would be an interesting project whether we could look at whether hypnotherapy could actually be used to alleviate you know the vomiting mm -hmm. actually under general anaesthetic uh, which i'd have loved to have done that but again the problems behind that is that you've got to have somebody to insure and indemnify it and uh, you know uh, and obviously the university i was i'd finished with the university by then so they wouldn't do it um so it would have to be going through the hospital and uh, one time i did say well you know i'd love to do that if the hospital would identify it but also i really because it's going to take so much time um i would like to do it as part of um, a, a phd uh, and do research through that uh, but obviously there's so much time so much money uh, that i said to really you know would the hospital research unit sort of fund it and you know basically that's as far as it ever got <laughs> no, that's a shame because <clears throat> i just think that i think it's a great shame that we're in 2020 and people are starting to see the potential in cancer field in other um you know potentially terminal illnesses of helping mm. people massively yeah yeah and but i on, on the one side that's great people are starting to see it but on the other side i find it sad it's taken till now when you go back and look at the kind of works um Esdale and braid were doing um decades and decades ago yeah. with uh, you know, surgical operations without anaesthetic, helping people in various ways that currently are deemed as being, don't know if that can help. And yet there's so much, and all right, arguably it is to some degree anecdotal, although there is some more credible evidence out there of what they did with certain hospitals and, uh, and whatnot, that it kind of, it's like it got, hushed up covered up and it's mm. taken decades to try and get it back to where it even was looking like it was going back then what do you make of that um yeah i mean really uh, the, the thing that sort of affected it is really uh, pharmaceuticals <laughs> you know the things mm. like hypnotherapy approaches and psychological approaches and even things like hypnobirthing you know that, that's coming back now but that was a sort of standard practice before from pharma you know pharmacological sort of means yeah. and things so, so, yeah, so it's really it's that that big business has, has taken over from it. Um, but I think it, it's reversing in a way. I think people are getting more sort of naturalistic nowadays and more and seeing the benefits of more holistic approaches. So I think it is starting to turn the other way that that people are looking for natural sort of cures or natural remedies as opposed to pharmaceutical sort of remedies. Thank God. Um, mm. And I just 
no offence to anyone who's religious, I said thank God in the context of good, it's moving in the right direction, but it does trigger in my head the thought of um, have you encountered any issues with people with their religious beliefs and backgrounds? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there are some very uh, sort of very religious people that are very anti-hypnotherapy. You know, they're very anti it uh, as far as concerned that, you know, it's a it's a devil's practice, you know, getting into people's minds. Um, I've only sort of spoken to a couple of people like that. And and so and obviously they won't come to me. Um, But I do work with I do hypnotherapy work with people of all religions, Um, you know, with with with, um, sort of Muslims and Sikhs and so on. You know, it doesn't religion doesn't really matter if, if people are open minded and educated. Okay, so you'd never like with positive intent. So therefore, I would argue completely ethically with positive intent, you'd never harness their religious beliefs to help them be more positively focused or would you? Uh, With with people that are very religious and and perhaps if they're into prayer and so on, uh, then yes, I might well incorporate that into the suggestion that we're using. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because I just sometimes if someone's got a really powerful emotional link or connection or belief, yeah. Yeah, you can it. it. Excellent. Well, I mean, I, do you know what? I'm really surprised because I've got to be honest to the viewers at home. I was looking forward to doing this interview, uh, but I also thought there were going to be more points of complete and utter <laughs> total disagreement crop up. And, um, Bizarrely, it's it's quite the opposite. I've found myself agreeing more and more and more and more with what Gary is saying, which is therefore no coincidence that he's establishing this reputation on a rapidly international basis as the guy who's actually done the research, still doing it, keeping up to date and actually doing it in the real world, not just some... Again, I'm not going to mention names, but there are some people who go and speak on certain subjects at hypnosis conventions and things who appear to know what they're talking about. And they do. They've read every book and they can quote it. But the amount of work they've done in the real world is next to nil. And that's ridiculous. You're better off listening to somebody like Gary who's actually still not did it. He's still doing it uh, in the real world. So, you know, if hypno-oncology, dealing with cancer patients to help them on their journey, uh, whether it's to help them deal with pain, the emotional elements of it, and potentially within that, in an ethical manner, to set up the neuro... can't even say the words. I always say to trigger off the cells and elements of the body to... <laughs> Find things positively and make an improvement. Then Gary's the guy to uh, search out. And your website address. I, 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 I always package that up so we're on an ethical point of view. I say so, um, we, we, we look at uh, psycho neuroimmunological approaches. <laughs> you say it because you can. <laughs> Showing up. Yeah, excellent. So, what's your uh, yeah, website? Sorry, the, the website for, for the oncology stuff is hypno oncology.com. We will put the link below the video when this goes out on Hypnosis Week. Unfortunately, we're getting close to the end because we've gone just over the hour. So I want to ask you the question I ask everybody on these interviews. Um, mm. The final question, which is if somebody came to you pushing 
well, maybe in the context of hypno-oncology, but perhaps pushing that aside, because at some point you also did other hypnotherapeutic things. Uh, I, am a general hypnothe- I am a general hypnotherapist, yeah. I mean, I've probably worked now over the years with about, I've probably done about 10,000 sessions overall. Um, but out of that, again, coming back to the oncology, I think probably two 2,000, I've worked with at least 2,000 oncology patients So over that time. So. Okay. So in general, someone comes to you, they're just starting out. I mean, a lot of people watching this will be experienced, but that doesn't mean to say that the advice you're going to give to this question won't be relevant to them. Because it's amazing how sometimes it's the simple things that people forget or overlook or, or whatnot. So my question will be, somebody comes to you, they've not had any training yet. Yeah. They may have read some books. Um, and their question to you is, Gary, from your experience, what would your top three tips be to somebody starting their journey to becoming a confident and competent hypnotherapist? Right. I mean, for somebody who's totally with no experience, so that's a difficult one. But certainly one of the things that I mentioned on my courses uh, for people that, that are hypnotherapists that, uh, you know, perhaps want some tips. I think that and it's one of the things that, that I give in my course. I sort of give tips and I give a lot of case histories and, and so on. Uh, but the tips that I always say is um, if you're working with a patient, um, so always have a plan B, C and D. Uh, whatever happens with the, the client in front of you, they you must ensure that uh, from their point of view that they believe that was what was meant to happen, even if, even, if, even if it goes horribly wrong. Uh, you know, and you always have a plan B, C and D. Uh, and the one that uh, that I love, uh, a lady of fantastic name, uh, Melissa Tears uh, from New York, uh, New Jersey. She's fantastic. And one of one of her classic ones, uh, particularly from uh, newbies that are worried that they might have got a script wrong or got it round the wrong way round or got the technique wrong. Uh, her favourite quote, which I love, and I, I now mention that on my course, uh, attributed to her, uh, and I can't do the accent, but she said, people, just remember, we just make this shit up. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and that is very true. I think, yeah, I, 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 I believe intent, it is. Intent is, a bigger, is the bigger part of it. Excellent. And the fact that you clearly do care about what you're doing and people will pick up on that. And that's something, certainly when they're in a highly anxious fearful emotionally charged state as i imagine the vast majority of your hypno-oncology clients are when you first encounter them Uh, yeah yeah there's a lot of important lessons to be learned from the past hour um as i always say and i'm going to repeat myself i know but as i always say get a pen and a piece of paper and watch this again and take notes and then you'll realize how much actual value and content and insight uh there's actually been in the past uh hour far more than you'd realize at the first sight and you know think if this is working for gary in the world of hypno-oncology high-end uh emotionally charged a reader something as serious as, as the cancer Imagine now taking these approaches, intent, the, 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 the you know, the attitude uh, and all that into the arena of helping somebody with general confidence issues. Or, yeah. I mean, uh, an interesting one that, that might be, I actually had a, an email last night, uh, which might, might okay. be nice to, to read on that, which I think is quite inspiring for everybody. Yeah. And it was, it, it was a cancer patient, a private cancer patient that I'd been working with via Skype um, because uh, she doesn't live uh, anywhere near. 
Um, but I got uh, got it from her. Her name's Debbie. That's all we need to know. Uh, but it says, hi, Gary. Just wanted to send you a quick note to say thank you. I had news just before Christmas that my treatment has been totally effective and the tumour gone. Obviously, a very long way to go before the real period, but it's good news right now. Uh, the work you did me, we, with me when I was first diagnosed really helped me through so much that I now practice some sort of hypnotherapy every day now. My anxiety is totally uncontrolled without the need for medication. Pain management hypnosis particularly amazed me with how much it helped me. And the doctors were surprised that I managed through without heavy duty painkillers. And my plan now, all being well, is to train as a hypnotherapist myself so that I can be in a position to help others like you. And it all started with you. Thank you so much. All the best, Debbie. You're starting to break up. No, I can't, you've, you've stopped moving and I can't hear you anymore. No, I'm not, I'm not hearing you at all. It's coming in and out. Yeah, no, I'm not getting you. No, you've gone into still mode. I'm getting the occasional noise. I think the connection's gone a little bit haywire. So I don't know. I don't know how well you're hearing me. Um, so I'm not hearing you at 